all of you guys are varying ages and varying objectives. And we talk about, you know, all of us ultimately have the same desire, right? We want to be this, the best version of ourselves so we can show up more, more effectively for what matters to us, right? And what matters to you may be different. What matters to me, what matters to you today may be different from what matter to what matters to you in five years. If we, if we dial it all back to some common denominators, there's some really simple things that we can and should be doing every day that will help us to optimize how we, how we feel, ultimately how we look and how we perform uh, so we can do the best in every area of life. And that's kind of what my target is today. It's just give you guys a little bit of a framework, maybe some action items and, so, and a way to think about how to be maximally effective in your life. People are thinking about goals in the future. And while that is imperative, the way you get to goals in the future is by optimizing your daily experience. So if we look at the day, we all sleep about eight hours. Hopefully you're sleeping eight hours or so. That leaves you 16 hours left. So what are we doing to optimize those 16 hours? Patience and mindfulness. I love that. And mindfulness to me means the ability to choose my response minute to minute to minute, right? After 35, it's that 95% of our actions and our activities are unconscious. We don't think about them. Meaning we're just, you know, we're not driving the bus. Something else is driving the bus. And while I um, understand that, I think everyone working at this level, you want to be in charge or at least consciously making your decisions minute to minute to minute because life is is won and lost in the minutia, right? It's won and lost in the micro decisions you're making minute to minute. And the more you can put these things on autopilot, the more you can be successful. What you guys are going to notice is no matter who you are and what your age is, your challenges are common. We all have, we all suffer from a small number of limited challenges. There's a small number of challenges of the, the modern day human, right? The human condition of modern living, there's a certain number of challenges, but here's the cool thing. There's also a small number of solutions. Well, when you look at fitness and health and, and, and that entire world, uh, it seems like this enormous landscape of just like challenge, like, I don't know what to focus on. What's really important for me? How much do I need to eat? How much, like what, what, what food is good? Should I be a vegan? Should I be a carnivore? Should I be an omnivore? Should I do keto? Should I fast? There's so much confusion around it that people are like, I don't know what to do, right? So I hope today to provide you guys with a little bit of understanding, a little bit of framework on how you can start to manage your energy and your effectiveness. Does that sound great? All right. The, the way I'd like to start today's conversation is to talk a little bit about managing energy, activation energy, uh, uh, managing your life, right? We have so many demands and there's so many um, things pulling our time and attention. If we only have these 16 hours in a day, most of you are high achievers, you're all high achievers. And managing how we use or leverage that 16 hours ultimately is going to determine how we progress in life, right? And so if I have a, a thousand things that could potentially fit into these 16 hours, I have to start literally dissecting it and going, Okay, well, which one's going to give me the greatest leverage or which one's going to give me the greatest return for my time and move me toward the goals that are most current to me right now? So look at the goals that are current to you right now. Are These are specific goals. These are very current to me. I need to fix these now or I want to fix these now. And, uh, and then in five years or one year, they may be completely different. But always thinking about, well, what are the, what are the high impact in, uh, interventions, levers, or habits that I can implement every day that ultimately create my future? Right? Is my future self going to thank me for what I'm doing today or is my future self going to kick me in the butt for what I'm doing today? Is, are you going to be suffering in the future because of the decisions you make today or are you going to be thriving in the future? Right, That's a really important thing to think about. And sometimes as young people, some of you got people are very young and some people are not are my age and, and beyond, 
when you're young, you don't really think about consequences as much, do you? You don't like you kind of have a little more margin for error. You have an abundance of energy. You kind of go out and party all night. You wake up at seven. You're good. You, know, you, you don't have to work to worry about the energy so much. But what you do have to worry about is what focus, right? Focus in our in our modern time is very very challenging, isn't it? Everyone is pulling your time and attention, and not only are they pulling your time and attention, they're manipulating your time and attention. They're manipulating your subconscious drivers. Human beings have a very small number of unconscious things that drive our survival, right? There's a certain number of things that that we are driven to do unconsciously that ultimately are are wired, and you're not in control of those things, right? You're wired for survival. You're going to eat for sure. You're going to th- you're going to seek dopamine. For sure, you're going to seek seek approval, for, for sure, right? There's a certain number of things that you're going to seek, and it's outside of your level of conscious control in general. And if you have corporations and and researchers spending billions of dollars every year on marketing and ultimately research to manipulate your unconscious drivers, you better better become aware of how where it's coming from and how to not be victim to it, or you're getting pulled in like everyone else, and you're going to get sucked into the matrix, right? You're going to get sucked into the the constant mindless scrolling, the constant mindless eating, the constant spending that exists in our culture that is ultimately preventing you from being the person you want to be, right? So if you're someone who's a goal achiever and wants to achieve something successful in your life, anybody uh, self-identifies being a goal achiever and wanting to be successful in life? I hope so. Yeah. And, And so if you want that, then you have to be the one who's driving the bus, right? You have to be the one who's in charge of the decisions I'm making minute to minute. What ultimately is influencing influencing those decisions and being conscious of what's influencing those decisions and ultimately uh, start making those decisions based on where you want to go in, in the end result. Does that make sense? So if we have 16 hours in the day, I want to be the one making those decisions, right? Most of you guys are working eight to 10 hours a day. Okay, great. Well, that still leaves us you know, eight, six to eight hours in the day that we're consciously in control. Even the time you're at work, you still should be unconsciously in control of what you're doing there in that time. And is it my highest leverage task? And if it's not, how can I shift toward being my highest leverage task? Okay. So what we're looking at here is, okay, if I'm looking at focus as being one problem I want to solve for, I'm also looking at, anyone, is anyone lacking motivation ever? Does it ever feel like, like you know, is motivation ever a challenge? Yeah. So do you know motivation is a really simple equation to solve? There's only two things that actually go into motivation. Do you know what they are? Anyone, on, anyone have an idea? Two things, energy and progress, right? So think of if I had an abundance of energy, if I had enough energy to do everything I possibly wanted to do in the day, right? A mutual friend and mentor, Brian Johnson, calls it energy for two, right? Heroes have enough energy for two people for two days for, for to do twice as much. And so if we had enough energy to do everything we could possibly want, then we just need progress, right? So you want to see forward progress. We want to see the the you know, moving the ball down the field, so to speak, right? And why is progress so important? Because we are dopamine beings. We're we're species driven by dopamine. Everyone know what dopamine does in the brain? Dopamine should be considered the molecule of pursuit. The molecule of more is what they call it. So when I when I get something or I'm moving towards something, I feel really good about that. And when I finally get it, do you know what happens? Dopamine crashes. So the, actually the peak in dopamine is the ascension, is the process toward the accumulation or the acquisition. And then when I get it, dopamine tanks. That's why when so many people will, will accomplish a goal, they often will go into like some type of post-depression because like I've got this huge spike in dopamine and then it tanks. So if we're lacking, you know, motivate or say we're lacking motivation in some way, there's two things we want to solve for, energy and progress, right? What does progress require? Progress requires a direction, doesn't it? 
Progress requires a, a direction. Like if I, for in order for me to make progress, I have to know I'm moving in the right direction. I can't arbitrarily make progress in any direction and hope that I'm getting dopamine. As an example, if you don't have a workout plan, if you don't have a diet plan, or if you don't have a plan at work and like maybe a to-do list or maybe like a, a, a project you're working toward and you don't know definitively you're, you're able to check boxes, your brain doesn't get dopamine. So, you know, well, this is this is very much relevant with the common young people or the young people in our culture right now is the direction is confused, right? People are lacking, they're like unsure, unsure of their identity and where they're supposed to go and what the ideal avatar is in order to live. So, they're confused and they're, they're, they're doing stuff, but they're moving in all different directions. So, they lack the vector, right? They lack the directionality of motivation. So, if we're solving for these two aspects of motivation, well, I can't be responsible for determining your goals, but you guys all just jumped in there and, and expressed, hey, this is my goal right now. I'm trying to fit these things in there. I'm trying to accurately block out time throughout my day for workouts on and meditation. Great. That's that's your your North Star. But here's what also one thing I wanna I wanna bring up. It's so important that you guys realize the intervention isn't the objective. I think a lot of people make a mistake in this, right? So the intervention isn't the objective. Here, here's what that means. I don't read a book to read a book. Why do I read a book? Either for entertainment, which is very, which is great, maybe to calm me down, but most of us read a book for what the book is going to teach me, right? So it's like what I'm going to get out of this book. So I don't necessarily read the book to read the book. I read the book for the knowledge, right? Same thing with a workout. I don't read, I don't do the workout for the workout's sake most of the time. I do the workout because I want to get the result. Does everyone agree with me on that? Good. So all of these interventions then, it requires you to go, is the intervention that I'm doing the thing that's actually going to get me the result I'm trying to achieve? Right? So you have to then say definitively, are these the right interventions for the right end result I'm trying to achieve? So it's very, very important that we start identifying what are the end results we're trying to achieve. We've identified three that are probably most important for most of us. Focus, energy, progress. Agreed? If we, if, we, if, we, if we simplified life to th three things, it's probably that, and maybe some other stuff in there, but I could, we could make a solid argument for focus, progress, and energy being kind of the three most important levers for all of us to ultimately control our time block and move us toward the future. Yes? All right. So let, let's then solve for focus and energy, because I think these two things go very much the same. One of the most important arguably the most important piece of information in as much as it applies to optimizing your health and your energy is understanding this is this is going to be a little scientific per minute but give me some patience understanding what's called the autonomic nervous system right so the autonomic nervous system is the way your body and your your body and your mind is interacting with the world so your body interacts with the world through your five senses and your brain is constantly taking inventory of what's happening in the world around us right so the, the the autonomic nervous system has two branches. One is sympathetic, one is parasympathetic. So sympathetic, remember S, stress. So if my body is sensing some type of stress, and that can just be that can be environmental, but that can also be psychological, right? What's happening in our brain? So if my body is like, gosh, you know, I'm afraid of something, I'm under some type of duress, or there's something going on in my mind. Maybe it's PTSD. Maybe it's something. Maybe like my girlfriend's fighting with me, or my partner's fighting with me. You know, whatever, right? Those those stressors are are causing a sympathetic branch of the nervous system to be slightly more mm, turned on. Yes. So why does that matter? Well, 
when I when I activate the sympathetic branch of the nervous system, it's kind of like the gas pedal. It's starting to mobilize gasoline, in this case, energy in the form of, of glucose and from the fatty acids and the form of proteins into the blood to be used because the body is sensing that there's a saber-toothed tiger sitting over my shoulder that I need to move away from. So that's how evolutionarily humans have evolved to stress. There's a saber-toothed tiger over there and I need to be able to mobilize energy to get the hell away from it, right? But guess what? I haven't seen a saber-toothed tiger around in a while. I haven't seen any wildlife in most of our lives. I haven't seen a lot of things that are initiating stress that's ultimately followed by some type of exercise, right? Most stress in modern day societies is followed by what? More rumination and contemplation. And seldom is it followed by motion, right? Seldom is it followed by motion. So here's the thing. When you understand the autonomic nervous system, evolutionarily, the human system has been wired to receive the stress because stress is a wonderful thing. It causes us to take action, right? Causes us to adapt. But the stress should be followed by mobilization. We should move. But because if stress constantly stays elevated, our body goes, hey, man, this is just going to stay there. The body keeps dumping energy into the blood. Body goes, dump and dump and dump. I'm trying to, I'm trying to run away from something, but you're not going anywhere. Guess what happens? Body goes, I still have these hormones elevated. The, in the, you know, the hormones are cortisol and adrenaline. I still have these hormones elevated, but I'm not going anywhere. So what happens? The body becomes resistant to those hormones. So our energy that was first mobilized and like, we feel great when we mobilize energy. Cortisol is a wonderful thing. But when your body starts becoming resistant to that cortisol and that adrenaline, guess what happens? I feel a little lethargic. I start to lose the, the ability to use those amazing hormones because the, those, those things are constantly staying elevated. So your body becomes a little bit resistant to it. It's kind of like mom yelling at you all the time, like poking at your shoulder, like, hey, clean up a room. Eventually you stop hearing it, right? You're like, oh, mom, leave me alone. Same thing's happening in your body. So if we can learn to understand how this autonomic nervous system, the sympathetic branch of the autonomic nervous system is driving energy and there's a disconnection Right? There's a disconnection between the, the energy that's being mobilized and the activity that's not there, right? And oftentimes, there's a, there's a perceived threat in our brain that isn't really a threat at all, right? Maybe it's a psychological threat, but it's not certainly a physical threat. And when there's a disconnection between what your brain is perceiving and what your body is doing, we start moving into what's called ultimately a disease state or moving in the direction of a disease state. Not saying any of you at your age is going to be experiencing disease, but you're moving your body closer and closer to what ultimately is a disease state. So do you know what the most common causes of death are in the world? They're all, they're all other than like getting hit by a, a bus, they're all metabolic diseases, right? Every one of them. Heart disease is the number one killer for sure, followed by cancer, followed by things like Alzheimer's. Uh, again, there's probably a, num uh, there's a num number of other things on the, on the list there, but also um, depression is also a metabolic disease of the brain. Uh, PTSD is now also seen to be a cause of a metabolic disease. All these things are diseases of metabolism that are directly correlated from, to your body saying, hey, I've got my gas pedal down all the way, all the time. How many of you guys drive a nice car or a car that you value, you appreciate? Would you drive around? Let's say none of you guys even know what a standard car is, but for the, for the older ones amongst us, uh, do you know what a standard car is? We got to drive, we got to shift your own gear. If you left it in first gear all the day and you just revved it, you know, you, you revved it to the to the floor in first gear, eventually what's going to happen to your engine, right? It's going to burn out. So this is what most people are doing is they're staying in first gear and they're revving the engine all day long. And the body goes, I'm done, man. Eventually we're causing damage to the engine. We're going to burn out. 
So the way we learn to manage this energy is learning to understand what's happening at the level of the autonomic nervous system. So how then do we start to like understand? Well, here's an important thing to know. I love, love stress. I love stress. I love cortisol. I love adrenaline. Sometimes people get this mindset like cortisol is bad, adrenaline is bad. No, these are a gift. These are the greatest things in our life. These allow you to uh, literally mobilize energy for responsiveness. When you wake up in the morning, hopefully if you're healthy, you get a good, strong morning cortisol response. You feel most energized, right? Cortisol is the source of energy for us. It's, it's what allows our body to go faster. I love cortisol. What I don't love is when my body no longer wants to experience cortisol because it's constantly staying elevated. So what I want to learn to do as a conscious person who, who aspires to be the highest achiever that I can in this lifetime, I want to get the most out of myself in this life every day, the optimized daily experience. I want to learn how to manage those, those ups and downs in energy because I don't always need to be turned on at this level to talk to you guys, right? So learning to manage when I want my energy to be uh, peaked and when I don't need it to be peaked, right? So if there's a time when I want to be turned on and I want to be like when I'm working out, or when I'm in a meeting, or when I'm trying to, to, to demand attention and convey a message, I want the energy to be turned on. As soon as I turn off, I want to be in conscious control of my ability to go turn down. Yeah. Because then I go into energy conservation in almost recovery mode which is then governed by the other branch of the autonomic nervous system called the parasympathetic nervous system, right? And a lot of you have heard all this information out there about the vagus nerve and vagal tone. Some of you have heard that. That's what that is, right? We're trying to manage vagal tone. We're trying to improve the ability of my body to slow down. So how many of you guys have ever experienced or ladies have ever experienced a huge amount of stress that just wouldn't come down for hours and hours and sometimes days and days, right? Sometimes stress, because life happens, goes up and stays up, you know, like, holy smokes. If anyone's ever had an anxiety attack or panic attack or really any stressful event that just felt like it was going to go on forever, this is a very real thing. And when you learn to control how you're, so that that's a response of the sympathetic nervous system. And then I want to control how my body turns that off because I have conscious control over it. Even though the name autonomic insinuates that it's automatic and I don't have control over it, that's actually not the truth. And I'm going to teach you guys today how to actually intervene with this autonomic nervous system, which allows your body to go back into recovery mode, right? Allows my body to get out of that, like, holy smokes, there's a, there's a saber-toothed tiger over there trying to eat me. So now, like, I'm just going to go and, and relax. And the parasympathetic nervous system is associated with rest, digest, and and ultimately procreate, right? Like, we're going to go into this this healing mode, recovery mode. So I want to I want to understand how I can dynamically balance those two things, and here's here's an important reality, and I'll say this and why I think this is so important. I take what's called an autonomic view of performance. So if I'm making decisions on how hard I'm going to work today in the gym, how much food I'm going to eat, how much sleep I need, um, what recovery interventions I'm going to implement today. I'm literally using the autonomic nervous system as my guide to determine how much I should be doing on each end. Should we be eating the same number of calories every day? Probably not. Should we be doing the same type of workouts every day? Probably not. Do we need the same numbers of hours of sleep every day? Maybe, probably not, right? There may be days when I need a little bit more, maybe days where I can get away with a little bit less. Is everybody with me? And I can make these decisions consciously based on what my autonomic nervous system is telling me. And there's actually a way to measure it. Which is really cool. I'm going to tell that, tell that, uh, tell you guys about that today as well. So we can use these interventions to go. Okay, 
I know where my body is. If I need to show up at my best on Tuesday or, or at this big meeting I have next week, I need to make sure that I'm taking some, um, taking advantage and leveraging some of these interventions, right? So has anyone heard of the science of heart rate variability? Right. I can get an idea of how recovered is my body today? How much additional, now I'll, I'll say one really important thing. This is not uh, an indication of whether or not I should work out today. This is not an indication of, of whether or not I, I uh, yeah, uh, uh, at all. It's, it's, a, it's an indication of how I should work out today or how I should eat. Uh, it's, not an, it's not an indication of like, oh, my HRV is low, I'm not going to train today. That's not what this is about. So as an example, I work with a lot of professional athletes. And if I have a professional athlete that's got a game tonight at seven o'clock, and he comes to me and goes, hey, coach, uh, my HRV is low, can't play today. What am I going to say? Yeah, right. I have to think of, hey, man, no, no. Here's the three, four, or five things or one or two things you can do that are high leverage items for you to ultimately get your body where it needs to be to perform at peak capacity at, at seven o'clock today. With me? So these, this is how I want you guys to start thinking about this, right? So solving for energy has a, a small number of, of simple and really highly effective interventions that most of you guys have heard about, but ultimately giving you some, some guidance and some action items on how to navigate them is important. Because here's an important thing. What's, what's um, parasympathetic or what's going to initiate a recovery response to me may not be the same to you, right? Our bodies, we're all born with different nervous systems, and then we've all evolved through our, our life in different environments. And so we're all perfectly, this is, this is maybe an important statement to note if anyone's taking notes. The way you look and feel right now is a perfect reflection of your, of your genetics and your lifestyle and history up to this point. Perfect reflection. Right? If you're like, oh, you know, I don't feel well or I don't look well, well, your body is perfectly adapted to what you've subjected to in the past. And therefore, if you want to change the way you look, the way you feel, and the way you perform in the future, you have to change the way you're, you're engaging with your body now, right? And it comes in owning those 16 hours and then looking at 15-minute increments and going, okay, what are the 15-minute increments telling me about what my future is going to be like, right? So if you show me your 16 hours, I can tell you what your body's going to look like. I can tell you what your future is going to look like, right? Some of you have different, uh, maybe a little bit more margin for error than others genetically, but in general, you guys can, you know exactly what you need to know about where your body's going to look, feel, and perform based on what you do in the 16 hours you're awake, right? Ultimately, and the eight hours that you're sleeping, okay? So if we want to learn to um, manage the autonomic nervous system, there's a really, really good visual reference that I, that I use that really helps me to depict how to approach this. So men or women, the way I think about this is we all need to access the warrior and the monk. But what that means is a warrior is someone who's always ready to run, fight, react, be assertive, and whatever needs to, whatever comes in his, his or her direction, he's ready to respond. He, she, he or she ready to respond, right? And the monk, can be at complete peace in the eye of a storm, in the most insane chaos. The monk is in peace or at peace, yes? So the ideal circumstance for a human, in my humble opinion, is to be able to tap in to the, the warrior and tap into the monk when you need it and be able to undulate anywhere in the middle whenever you need it. You don't always need to be the warrior, nor do you always need to be the monk. But if I need it, it's there. It's like a tool, right? 
it's like a tool that I can tap into. And I'll tell you what, guys and girls, that's a superpower. The ability to go to levels of intensity and effort that people simply don't understand is a superpower. The ability to disconnect and be completely at peace, be completely calm to levels that people simply don't understand is also a superpower. So where do our typical uh, average day-to-day people live and exist in the middle, right? It's these little small undulations. Rather than seeing like the ability to access peak states of arousal and peak states of calm, we kind of live in this really, it's like, it's literally like the expression of, of, you know, the thermostat on your, uh, in your house. Like, oh, it's like 72 degrees in here. It's a little too warm. It goes 71 and it's literally just a really tight regulation. It barely goes, it never goes certainly high and it certainly never goes low. We want to be able to control those states of arousal, right? Intentionally, not allowing the environment around us to influence those states of arousal. How many of you guys, and this is, this is actually what started my journey. How many of you feel like the environment around you influences your state of arousal or your state of focus or your ability to be present? Anyone? You say no, you're lying. <laughs> your environment is your biggest trigger. But learning to become mindful of it, as one of our guests said, and learning to control it is absolutely within your power. And if you do it, I guarantee you'll be more successful because of it, because now I'm driving the bus. I don't want something outside me to drive the bus. I want to be driving the bus, right? I want to be the one who's like, no, no, I'm going this direction. I know exactly. I want to be conscious of my decisions. I want to make sure that I have all the information to make a decision and then act accordingly. But not all of us are able to do that because we don't have the ability to control our ability to be present and ultimately control these two branches of the autonomic nervous system. So what are the interventions then? So if I want to get super aroused, I want to get myself up, and I don't mean sexually aroused, I mean like uh, aroused, yeah? Um, If I want to get super elevated in energy and and intensity, like I'm going to do like the hardest workout of my life, right? What should I be doing? And now this is important. Never does this incorporate uh, external substances ever because so many people are so dependent on like, I'm just going to go take this pill or drink this beverage or like, no, could, can you do that? Whatever your choice, but learning to control your own autonomic nervous system, your own system is so powerful, so much more powerful than you even know, right? I know, I know things like Adderall and certainly caffeine addictions are so prevalent in our society because people have this high level of expectation of like, I got to get so much done. What if you could access those states without any of that, which I, I promise you can. It's, what you know, I, I say this um, often, what breath work is able to elicit in your body will completely blow your mind. What meditation is able to elicit in your body will completely blow your mind if you become well-practiced at it. But guess what? You know when you shouldn't be practicing meditation and breath work? When you're in the eye of the storm. When shit starts going down, is when people go, I need to practice breath work. Guess what? Good luck. Not going to happen. I have children. And when, when my children are having bad a bad day or they're doing something wrong, is that the time to punish them and teach them something? Of course not. Right? It's before. Right? I should be teaching them an intervention before. Like, hey, here's how we act in these situations. And same with us. Yet, we're adults. So we can't control our own emotions, right? We tell kids they need to control their emotions. It, do- it doesn't work. So learn to control our state, our state of arousal is something that every one of you guys should be thinking about every single morning. And it doesn't take a huge amount of time, right? I usually leave about minimum 15 minutes, 10 to 15 minutes is like minimum, but ideally closer to four, you know 40 to 60 minutes would be ideal if we have all the time in the world, but minimum 10 to 15 minutes in the morning to simply 
create your state, right? Does that sound appealing to everybody? Does anybody ever just start like start the day, pick up their phone and kind of get on with the day? We're all guilty of it. I do it sometimes. If you don't, you're lying, right? A state will eventually become a trait, right? So if I want to create the perfect state, right, that I want to be in every day, I have to practice. Just like riding a bike, just like playing a piano, I need to practice that state and that state will eventually become a trait. So if I say, when I wake up in the morning, who do I want to be? Do I want to be chaotic and distracted and, and have squirrel brain and, and lack uh, the ability to be um, focused? Or do I want to be calm and focused and intentional, right? Uh, and, and you could ask use any adjective you want. You decide what you're going to be, right? Do you want to be the warrior? Do you want to be the monk? Do you want to be able to access all of them, right? I'm, I'm sure you guys all want to be high achievers. So do you think a high achiever just allows, let's say like a guy like, um, I don't know, like let's let's pick your favorite sport, right? You think of like UFC or you think of basketball, or you think of football, you think of hockey. You think those athletes who are the best in the world allow the environment around them to determine how they're going to show up? They leave nothing to chance. I'm going to show up in an optimized state and there's nothing around me that can influence that, right? And Everyone plug your ears if, if cussing offends you, but it's it's the unfuckwithable m- mindset, right? It's like no, I'm I'm like I'm a, I'm I know who I am, right? And I'm going to show up as me, and nothing around me can can pull me in either direction because I'm driving the bus. Well, I want to give you guys some immediate interventions you guys can you guys can apply right now to uh, ultimately gaining control of the autonomic nervous system. Yep. Okay. So I always like to. Some of you guys are sitting in the office. This may this may get weird, so I won't make you do it. But normally, I make you guys do some breath work and some meditation with me, uh, so you could you could start to understand what it looks and feels like, right? So if I and I'll just do it for your sake, so you, but but I would suggest be willing to be uncomfortable, right? Be willing to be a little bit vulnerable. Be willing to look a little bit goofy, because ultimately, guys, no one, no one is is putting you down, right? And if they are, that's their own stuff, right? So be willing to do the, the incredibly unusual things that are going to have the high impact. So the first intervention that you guys probably already know is the, is breathing, right? Because the reason breathing's become so famous and popular and, and, and such a big phenomenon right now, by the way, breathing is not a fad. It's not going anywhere, Breathe, right? The breathing interventions, it, it's not a fad. It's by far the, the single biggest intervention that we all have access to uh, at, the, you know, at the drop of a, of a hat. It's always right there. So if I want to get stimulated, I want to get more aroused, like I'm having a little lack of three o'clock energy, or I'm, I'm dragging butt in the morning and I just don't feel right, what do I want to do? There's a, there's a little bit of nuance here, but the first thing I want to be considerate of is like, okay, where, where am I breathing? Biomechanics, like where am I breathing? Am I breathing into my chest or am I breathing into my belly? Right? So mechanics is a really important thing. Like, how am I breathing? Am I actually using my diaphragm to breathe? So if any of you feel as though you have a stressed out personality, if anybody self-identifies as having a stressed out personality or someone that's in their head a lot, anybody identifies that, you don't have to raise your hand, but you can. Um, right. If that's you, learning to get out of your chest and into your belly when you breathe will be the single biggest or single most immediate intervention that you can leverage for sure. Breathe through your nose, not through your mouth. And breathe into your diaphragm again so so simple and effective okay um and so this is a skill right this is a skill and if you guys 
simple way to do this is I would suggest laying down on your back. I go at home, at home when you start. Lay your back and put, put a book on your stomach and see if you can make the book go up when you inhale and down when you exhale. Up when you inhale, down when you exhale. So if you guys just want to try it, throw one hand on your stomach, put one hand on your chest. Notice how much your chest is moving as compared to how much your belly is moving. The chest should not move at all. The belly should move a lot. And if you guys start to get really good at this, you'll notice you actually start to feel it in 360 degrees. So you'll start to feel it go out at your sides, you sort of feel it in your lower back and even sometimes in your upper back. That's, that's where you want to aspire to. You ever see a dog breathe? They breathe in 360 degrees. So you want to breathe in your belly, your sides, your lower back, your upper back. You should feel it expand in all directions. Then we know we're, we're using our lungs, we're using our diaphragm, all lobes of our lungs, and we're stimulating the vagus nerve. And the vagus nerve is going to be a really important way to access your energy. Okay, um, so that's one. Second intervention, I can control the cadence of my breath. So biomechanics, cadence, I can control the breath in, I control the breath out, and the holds on either end, the duration of, of, of my breath, right? So if I want to breathe, uh, if I want to excite myself, I want to breathe in a, in a way that's going to give me more energy and more ability to like train, attack, whatever, whatever is necessary, I increase the rate of breathing. Typically increase the the sharpness right so you can sharp breaths in your heart rate should jump up if any of you guys measure your heart uh in real time your 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 heart respiration your um sorry heart rate you'll notice just by doing that your heart rate should jump up that's a really responsive nervous system. that's a good thing and then if i did the opposite i went my heart rate should come down Here's a good example. Um, the the highest state of, of readiness, right? Peak state of readiness. I can get my heart rate to go from resting is about 50 to about 90 to 100 in a single breath. Body goes, boom, I'm ready to attack. I'm ready to jump, right? And then a single breath, I'm going to go. And I'm back down at 50. That's the ideal circumstance in responsiveness, right? Now think of how that's useful. If something stressful in life happens, somebody cuts you off in traffic, do you want your heart rate to stay up there? Or do you want to bring it back down, right? Yeah, if you wake up in the morning, you're dragging a little bit, you do one breath, all of a sudden your heart rate shoots up, you're at 90, well, I'm ready to go. I'm ready. To, I'm, 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 there's no such thing as being tired at that point. You're in automatic control of your energy, right? So we could talk about all these other lifestyle interventions like nutrition and 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 stress and again we're just basically talking about stress and sleep and all these other things which are very important but if you can't control your autonomic nervous system you're by default going to make bad decisions has anyone ever made a bad decision when it comes to nutrition and, and bad decision is relative right but where you're like man i probably shouldn't eat that third donut or i probably shouldn't eat that fourth pizza pizza talking talking to myself here um yeah, you're like, oh, I probably shouldn't do this. But you're, you're not always in control, right? Whereas if you can learn to control your autonomic nervous system, it allows you to become present, become more mindful, and make those decisions based on the, the prefrontal cortex, right? The prefrontal cortex is the executive center of the brain rather than the amygdala, which is in the back, which is based on kind of primal responses, right? The amygdala is trying to keep you alive. It's usually reacting from fear, from inadequacy. That's where your, your amygdala is reacting from. It's trying to keep you alive, a survival mechanism. 
So if you're living out of the reactiveness that is the amygdala, you're always going to fall short on your goals. You're always going to make decisions that are ultimately not guiding in the direction of your dreams and your goals. Okay. So we want to be able to access that. And we can't, literally cannot access our prefrontal cortex for our position of hyper arousal from stress, right? If my cortisol is elevated and my heart rate's going really fast, your prefrontal cortex has just come offline. You're not making conscious decisions, you're not making good decisions. You're always going to react from a safety perspective, from from moving away from fear. So you guys all know that you can make decisions, you know this, but I'll remind you, you can make decisions to move away from fear, or you can make decisions to move toward uh, pain, right? Move away from pain, sorry, move away from pain, move toward pleasure, one or the other. And so moving away from pain is making a decision from my amygdala. My amygdala is like, I'm afraid of something, inadequacy, scarcity, fear, those are all amygdala-based decisions that are ultimately going to, to not be the most productive. When I'm making decisions for my prefrontal cortex, the executive center, I move toward pleasure, right? The only way I can make decisions from the prefrontal cortex is when I'm in a place of autonomic balance, right? I've got sympathetic uh, tone and I've got parasympathetic tone. And those things are in relative, again, balance is maybe not accurate, but it's the best description I have. They're, they're in relative harmony. Maybe harmony is a better word. So... And, and I, I gather that every one of you guys wants to be an achiever. Yes, be able to make conscious decisions. I'll say the key is bookending your day with things that are the highest leverage items you can and making it non-negotiable. You guys know that you're only going to do what you make a must, right? This is just maybe the most important thing to remember in life. If you don't make it a must, you're not going to do it. So bookending your day with things that are high leverage, high impact habits is key right? And if you don't do that, what happens in the middle is going to be a diminished quality. So the, the lack of focus, the lack of quality will, will certainly uh, express itself. And so what you do during those hours will be it's not as effective. So start there, right? Find the highest impact items you can you can book in your day with, start your day to end your day. Consistent sleep times, consistent wake times, morning routines, uh, foods that energize your body, not, not foods that ultimately rob from tomorrow, right? If we're taking things like Adderall and caffeine in excess, those are robbing energy from tomorrow. So we want to make sure that we're energizing the body and fueling and nurturing the body today. Then during the day, guys, movement is... So if anyone's ever experienced, and I know you have, a moment in your, in your, in your life where you were just sitting in your head, your head was just like, I'm thinking too much, I'm thinking too fast, I'm stressed, I got all these things going on. The, the way out of perpetual loop thinking is not by thinking it's by moving. So one of the most important things is the, the psychology and the physiology, those two things are inextricably linked. It's a two-way highway. So if I want to change the way I think, I have to change the way I feel, I have to change the way I move. This is uh, just a reality of the human system. So if you guys want to change the way you think and the way you feel here, you have to change the way you move. Okay. So as far as managing energy throughout the day and managing your ability to be highly productive, you have to build in something to punctuate your day with simply increasing blood flow. It's so much easier than it sounds, but we need to get your heart rate above 100 every hour, I would say. And even if it's three minutes, it doesn't matter. But sitting down, all the blood pools in the pelvis and the, and the stomach and the lymphatic system stops draining and the body becomes very rigid and doesn't move really well. So like five minute breaks every 60 minutes just to move your body, get some sunshine in your eyes is enormous. If you're working at night, you want to make sure you pay attention to light. Light is actually the single, this, people don't know this, light is the single biggest influence on the human system by far. More than food, more than exercise, more than anything. So light is the si single biggest influence on human biology. 
So we want to control our light, right? And during the day, it's fine. But as the, as the sun starts to come down, having those lights around can actually significantly impair your ability to have regenerative sleep. The single biggest thing you can do to improve your quality of life is control your autonomic nervous system. The single biggest thing you can do to control your autonomic nervous system is start your day every single day and end your day every single day with some high impact, high leverage items. So I'm going to give you what they are. So if you want to know this 10 to 15 minute protocol every day, that, that should be creating your ideal state. Before your feet hit the ground, three minutes of gratitude. Before, before my feet hit the ground, literally I sit up in the bed or I'll do it laying down sometimes. Usually I'll sit up, take a big breath, put a smile on my face and say, I'm so grateful for my heart that beats in my chest. I'm so grateful for my lungs that breathe for me. I'm so grateful for my mind that thinks. I'm so grateful for my partner that's laying beside me in my bed. I'm so grateful for my kids that are in the next room. I'm so grateful for this world. I'm so grateful for the sun. And I'll just keep going and going and going for three minutes. Until I, and I'm so grateful for my team. And I'm so, I'm so grateful for my mother and so grateful for my father. And I just go through and I start with my body and I, and I do people and I do things and I do food and I do the farmers and like anything any just like, and I, I don't want to intellectualize gratitude. I want to embody gratitude, right? So saying it is one thing. Intellectualizing it is one thing, but embodying it is a completely different thing. I can feel gratitude. If you've never felt gratitude before, think of a time perhaps in your life where you just got something where you're just like, wow, I'm so, so thankful. I'm so appreciative. And many of us go our whole life and never understand what that feels like. And sometimes it's just like a little bit of a, of a flicker of a light. We have to learn to, to fan that flame and learn to generate those feelings inside. Because now I go through my day in a constant state of gratitude, right? And I often will joke that you can't be grateful and pissed off at the same time. And it's not, uh, it's not really a joke. You literally can't be grateful and angry at the same time. It's impossible. So how then do we train ourselves to not just intellectualize gratitude? Because it's very easy to say, oh, I'm grateful for this. But it's not the same to feel it. Start there. Second thing, if you're someone who's not into meditation, simply start with five minutes. And the easiest meditation is sit and feel. So the way to connect with a meditative experience is realizing your body has five senses, right? And I want to simply sit and experience my five senses in this exact moment. That's it. If you guys can do that, what am I feeling as my butt hits the chair, my feet hit the floor, my, the, the cold temperature in my hands, or the dry feeling I'm getting in my throat, or the way I'm breathing into my into my stomach, or the way my clothes feel against my skin, and I'm just like going, and I'm just trying to experience the moment. What am I hearing? What am I feeling inside my body? Is there any emotions? I just didn't feel. That's it. Five minutes, right? And then the next five minutes, I would suggest is just like create your state with breathing. So like learn to slow it down, learn to speed it up. And just gain control of it. If you guys do those three things, your life will change. I guarantee you, your ability to control who you are and how you show up will be completely different. So this is here's a, here's a true story. In 2007, I was sleeping about five hours a night, um, waking up, you know, drinking five cups of coffee to start my day, or taking a pre-workout or whatever. And I was like, man, it's not. This is not sending on a good path. So I I learned to train myself to meditate before bed. And now, and this is, sounds ridiculous, but I can fall asleep in under 10 seconds simply by counting backwards from 10. And by the time I get to, to three, I'm like, out. But this is something I've trained over the last 15 years. And so the key to 
understanding sleep is understanding what ultimately is influencing sleep, right? So the biggest influence on your sleep is going to be light, as I just mentioned, heat, food, and ultimately stress, right? Light is the biggest. So if I have bright lights on before bed, so your nervous system is constantly perceiving the environment. And if uh, I'm receiving light into my eyes, the suprachiasmatic nucleus tells my brain it's time to be awake. So it suppresses melatonin and increases cortisol. Cortisol is the energy hormone. Before bed, I want to have no cortisol and I want to have increased melatonin. Those two things work inversely proportional. Melatonin is, is the nighttime sleepy um, hormone. So I want that to go up and that only goes up when it's, it's extreme darkness or progressing toward extreme darkness. So watching the sunset and then into darkness is really important. Um, and then food is a big one. Don't eat two to three hours before bed ever. Like even if it's like a little snack, I, I suggest against it. It really makes a big difference. I know sometimes you want to or you need to, but um, if you can create a habit of front loading your calories in the day, like I try to get 80 to 90% of my calories in before 1 p.m. Uh, and then at the end of the day, I just, I just kind of nibble a little bit. It's a big one. Exercise and movement should happen early in the day because that's a big one to set your circadian rhythm. And the last one, which we're going to talk about really quickly is stress. And so stress is one of these things that you're, like I just talked about, your sympathetic nervous, the gas pedal is down. So the body's tightly wound. The muscle system is tight. You know, the, the, you're probably breathing really fast. So you want to reverse that, right? So if my muscular system is tight, let it go. Relax. Think about the muscles loading going like this. All right. So I use something called NSDR, non-sleep deep rest. If you look up NSDR on YouTube, you find that. Um, super, super useful. There's one that I use like 20 minutes long. It's great. And it's just a body scan and it's deep breathing. That could be helpful. That's it. And learn to slow down your breathing. Guys, breathing is a superpower. In meditation, you'll experience, so any of you guys that start meditating, meditation when you start is characterized by frequent thinking, right? You're like, I'm, I'm thinking, I'm thinking, I'm thinking. And the goal of meditation is ultimately to stop thinking, but notice the thinking, let it pass. And then ex meditation, the goal is to, to exist in the gap between thoughts, right? So I want to like make the, in the beginning, the, the, the thinking's frequent and eventually there starts to become these little gaps between thoughts. And eventually the more you meditate, the gaps between the thoughts become bigger. Similar thought. And so if I can train myself to, you know, when I'm getting distracted every, every seven seconds, I'm looking around. Start training your visual system to be focused. So before I were, were to sit down to focus, I'm going to I'm going to control my breath. I'm going to control my visual system because my eyes are telling my brain what to do. If I'm constantly looking around and I'm distracted on my phone, I'm scrolling. My brain is is chaotic. The the thought patterns in my brain are chaotic. And I'm trying to organize them right. So we want to have them organized left to right. We want to have the the, the lobes doing the same things. And so I just want to control my breathing. I want to control my visual system. And maybe my body, sit still, calm down, relax, breathe, focus your visual system. And sometimes doing a dilated gaze, a peripheral gaze can be helpful as well. And um, as soon as you, it's just like meditation. Man. As soon as you notice yourself losing focus, just bring it back. Don't punish yourself. Don't get upset about it. Just notice, come back. Notice, come back. Right? And so getting in a focus state for... Um, extended periods of time actually requires stress, right? It actually requires cortisol and adrenaline. People most people don't know that. So the reason we do well on deadlines is because your cortisol and adrenaline are elevated because you're like, shit, I got to get this done or I'm going to get my butt handed to me. Um, and that's why we do better on deadlines. So if you can, if you can look for ways or strategies to increase stress before you uh, focus, then you can actually do better. So that's why people like to drink coffee because it increases adrenaline. 
Exercise can do that, right? Um, fasting can also do that, right? So looking for ways to slightly increase cortisol and adrenaline. So just being a little hungry. You ever notice after you eat lunch, you kind of want to sleep? Because you're adrenaline and cortisol. Thanks for listening to the Muscle Intelligence Podcast. For full episode guides with important takeaways and bonus resources, head over to muscleintelligence.com slash learn. If you enjoy the show and find value in the content, please subscribe, share this podcast with at least one person you know and love who would benefit from this content, leave us a review, and support our sponsors. You can see the full list of show sponsors, discounts, and get exclusive Muscle Intelligence deals at muscleintelligence.com slash resources. To join our private community and get VIP access to my master classes, upcoming muscle camps, and other resources that we don't post anywhere else, head to muscleintelligence.com slash community. Most of all, thank you very much for your trust, for your time, and most importantly, for supporting health and fitness in this world. Enjoy your day. I look forward to seeing you here next week. Thank you so much for tuning into Muscle Intelligence. If you enjoyed today's episode, please be sure to share it with at least one person you know. Make sure you're subscribed so you never miss an episode. This podcast is for information purposes only. The statements and views on this podcast are not medical advice. This podcast, including Ben Bikulski and the producers, disclaim responsibility for any possible adverse effects from the use of information contained herein. Opinions of guests are their own, and this podcast does not endorse or accept responsibility for statements made by guests. This podcast does not make any representations or warranties about guest qualifications or credibility. This podcast may contain paid endorsements or advertisements for products or services. Individuals on this podcast may have a direct or indirect financial interest and products or services referred to herein. If you think you have a medical problem, consult a licensed physician.